few months ago, I was in Tyler at a, a quiet place I like to go and have coffee and prepare for Sunday sermons. And it's located on the old Jacksonville Highway. And before leaving that day, Leslie called me and asked me to pick up dinner to bring home. And the place she wanted me to go was on Broadway in Tyler. Now, I don't normally go that way home from the coffee shop. I take the old Jacksonville Highway to Bullard, then I get on 69 and I head home. But since I went up to Broadway to pick up dinner, I decided to take Broadway back to Jacksonville. And I have to admit to you, I'm being honest with you this morning, I was not watching my speed, nor was I paying attention to speed limit signs. I was preoccupied with other things and I got pulled over in Tyler for speeding. And the police officer asked me if I knew what the speed limit was. And I had to admit to him that I did not because I was not paying attention. And I got ticketed. And the rest of the ride home, I was doing what most people do when they get a ticket. I was thinking back to all the things I wish I would have done differently One was, I wish I was paying attention to the speed limit signs and watching my speed. And another thing I wished for, of course, was that I'd never gotten out onto Broadway and driven through that speeding trap by Gander Mountain and Academy Sports to head home. If only I would have known what was going to happen, that would have changed all those decisions that I made that afternoon. But you know what? I got to thinking, though it was impossible for me to know what was going to happen, a knowledge I did have was of the past. Though I haven't been ticketed much in in my life, I have to admit to you that that was not my first speeding ticket. So on that day, what I should have done was I should have thought back to all of those times in the past. There's not that many, not all of those, some of those, few of those in the past. And I should have remembered what happens when I don't pay attention to speed limit signs and set my cruise and watch my speed. That would have made a big difference as well in that day, wouldn't it? Here's the point I'm trying to make. Knowing what is going to happen in the future and knowing what has happened in the past should affect the way we live in the present. Knowing what is going to happen and knowing what has happened should affect the way in which we live today. Well, guess what? God gives us both in His Word. He tells us what has happened And he tells us what is going to happen. And one of the reasons he does this is to influence the way in which we live for him today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. We're continuing our series through the Minor Prophets entitled The Major Message of the Minor Prophets. And in this series, what we're doing is we're taking a Minor Prophet book a week And we are doing a broad yet brief sweep 
through the book. We're attempting to, through all of these books, through this section of Scripture, and we are, we are attempting to draw out the major message from each of these books from this section of Scripture. And today, we're looking at the book of Joel. If you can't find Joel, don't fret over it, okay? You can look in your table of contents. Don't be too proud to do that every now and again. Find the page number and get there. Or if you can find the book of Daniel, just flip forward past Hosea. Remember, we were there last week. And the next book is Joel. This is the second book in this section of Scripture known as the Minor Prophets. And this small book, the book of Joel, divides nicely into two parts. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 27 Joel is focusing upon a past event in Judah's history. And in chapter 2, verse 28, through the end of the book, he's focusing on a few events that are going to take place in the future. And these these past and future events that Joel brings up here are meant to remind his Jewish audience of what has happened and what will happen so that that will affect the way in which they live in the present. That's Joel's reason for writing here. He's calling upon his readers to remember the past and to look to the future and is hoping that this knowledge of what has happened and this knowledge of what will happen will influence the way in which they live in the present. Now, before we we get into this book, let me take a moment to give you a brief background on this prophet in this book. Look at Joel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. That's all we got. That's all we got on Joel here. His name was a common name. There are others who had his name in Scripture, but this is the only time this Joel is mentioned. And all we really know about him is that he is a prophet and the son of Pethuel. Okay? Whoever that is. And along with not knowing much about this prophet, we also don't know much about when this book is is written because in this book, Joel doesn't mention... Who is in power at this time? And he doesn't give any real specifics in this book to help us with the date. But what we do know is that Joel was a prophet sent to the southern kingdom of Judah. Six times Joel speaks of Judah and 13 times he speaks of Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern kingdom, okay? So Joel was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. But other than that, we don't know much more about him in the time in which he wrote. And this, I believe, is to be intentional. I believe God here wanted this prophet and and author of this book to be vague. The reason why is because in this book, God wants to speak to all peoples at all times everywhere. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Joel says, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. You see, folks, 
This message is meant for a much greater audience. This message is for all peoples at all times everywhere. And what is this message? Well, we said it's in two parts, right? Two parts to this message. Two main points of Joel's message. Here's the first point. First point is this. Joel wants his audience to know, number one, what God has done in the past should affect the way we live in the present. That's point number one. What God has done in the past should affect the way in which we live today. And what has God done? Well, look at verse 4. Joel tells us. He says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Some of you are like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you what Joel's talking about here. He's referring to something that has happened recently. Apparently, at this time in this area in the southern kingdom of Judah, there had been this infestation, this invasion of locusts, and they had destroyed the land. Now, again, we don't know the time and the date of Joel's book here, so we don't know exactly when this occurred, but at some time during this prophet's life, Judah had been hit hard by a horde of locusts. They had come into this land, and they had eaten up everything. That may sound far-fetched to you, but it's really not. This is not unlikely. How many of y'all have ever seen a horde of locusts? Anybody? All right. Over in Africa? Yeah. Horde of locusts, a a swarm of locusts. Well, well, check out this picture here. That's one picture I found from National Geographic. Probably looks something like this or, or, or this here. Look at that. It's amazing, isn't it? Millions and millions of locusts. Now, a horde that size can do some damage. Am I right? An article in the L.A. Times from October 13, 1986, reported that Senegal had been hit so hard by locusts that there was not one single green leaf left in the land. It's reported that in flight, their density can be 1,000 in every square yard. I read recently that if a female locust laid an egg in July, by November, she would have 8 million descendants. So it's not unlikely, right? So Joel was calling upon the people of Judah to think back on what has happened. He's he's reminding them of how these locusts have come in and have destroyed everything. He's reminding them of how they've come in and they've eaten up everything in the land. And again, this is hard for us to understand in our Western world in the 21st century. Am I right? Because we don't live in a rural setting like they lived in that day. Though you may live out in the country, many of you are no more than 30 miles from the nearest Walmart. They didn't have anything like that in that day. Food was not being shipped in from around the world like it is today. They lived off the land. So something like like this here, and a famine would be completely devastating to these people. Notice how bad it was 
In verse 5, we're told there's no wine for the drunkard's mouth. Notice here that Joel is functioning like an alarm clock here, trying to wake these people up. In verse 5, he says, awake, wake up, you drunkards. Drunkards often need to be woken up, right? He says, wake up. And weep and wail, you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Why? Why no wine? No grapes, right? What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust ate. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust ate. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust ate. There was nothing left. Total destruction. Not only were were the drunkards affected, but so were the priests. Look at verse 9. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. Joel says here, there's so much devastation that priests don't even have enough grain and wine to offer a grain or a drink offering. So the damage that these locusts have caused is great. And it's affected everyone from drunkards to priests. There's nothing left. Complete devastation. And this famine, I imagine, was something these people wanted to forget. Wouldn't you? I mean, they they probably wanted to move beyond this. This is something they wanted behind them because it was a very dark time in Judah's history. Joel says in verse 12, the vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, and all trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. It's a horrible time. People were were miserable at this time, probably wanted to move on and never think about this terrible famine ever again. But Joel doesn't want them to. He wants them to think on this tragic event. And he wants them to share it with generations to come. Why? Because God had brought about this devastation. These hordes of locusts were sent by God. And Joel knew this. Now, how did he know that this came from God? Well, God probably revealed it to him, right? But another reason he knew is because Joel knew his Bible. Remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt in Exodus 10? Remember God wants Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh refuses. God starts sending plagues. And in in Exodus 10, we have the plague of the locusts. And remember, it invaded all the land of Egypt. Scripture says that never before... Have there been a plague of locusts in this area? They, they covered all the ground till it was black. And nothing green remained on tree or plant in all of Egypt. So the locusts were used at times as a sign of God's judgment. They were used in Egypt. Listen, they're also mentioned in God's covenant with his people, Israel. Remember what God told Moses, when the children of Israel came out of the the land of Egypt, they're on the edge of the promised land. God promised, if you guys obey me, then everything will be fine. 
You'll be blessed. You'll be allowed to remain in the land. But if you don't, you're going to be punished. Listen to what God said he would do to his people if they disobeyed him. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 38. He said, if you disobey me, if you turn away from me, if you set yourself against me, verse 38, you shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. Wow. God promised his people. If they turned away from him, he would send locusts, just like he did in Egypt to punish his people. And Joel here is telling the people of Judah that this is what God has done. God has done this. The locusts have been sent by God because of your sin. That's why in verse 13, he calls for the priests and for the elders and all the people of the land to repent, turn back to God, cry out to him. Verse 14, he tells the priests, notice here, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Now, if this wasn't a plague sent by God, why would they be doing this? It is, right? God's, God's, punishing his people he's bringing this this judgment upon them and joel recognizes that and he's calling for them to repent he's saying don't forget this plague don't move on from this judgment remember the plague of the locusts don't forget what has happened here god has brought about this judgment but notice why Joel says God has brought about this judgment. You know, we, we often think of God's judgment as being all bad, don't we? We do. Many often feel like when they read about God's judgment in Scripture, they think that that makes God seem cold and callous and unloving and unkind. But notice the reason Joel gives here for God bringing this plague upon his people. Joel explains, get this, He explains in this book that God does this work. He sends this plague. He brings about this judgment to warn his people of what's to come. Joel wants his audience, his readers, to understand that this past day of the locusts is a sign of something much more devastating, much more dreadful, much more terrible to come. This is nothing compared to what's to come. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Joel gives some very descriptive language here to discuss what this day, the day of the Lord that he refers to and other writers refer to, is going to be like. He says it's going to be like the day of the locust, but much more devastating. He says it will be a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It will be a day of destruction, he says. He says, the day of the Lord is great and awesome. Who can endure it? It's a rhetorical question, right? With the implied answer being, no one. No one can endure this day. Now, what event is Joel referring to here when he mentions the day of the Lord? 
What day is he referring to when he talks about the day of the Lord in Joel 1.15 and in Joel 2, 1-11? Is he referring to another day when a horde of locusts will come and devour the land? Is he referring to a day when a real military force is going to come in and attack Jerusalem? Is he referring to the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians or their later fall in the first century by AD 70? Though there may be some fulfillments in those days of Joel's prophecy, you know and I know who can read this book through with New Testament eyes, you know and I know that the day of the Lord that Joel talks about here in Joel 1.15, in Joel 2.1, and in Joel 2.11 still ultimately lies in the future, right? When Christ returns. Although that'll be a joyous day, for those who know the Lord, for those who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, get this. We are also told in Scripture, it's going to be a dreadful day for those who do not. For those who do not know Him, it will be a day a million times worse than the day of the locust. Folks, so Jesus is returning for His people. Scripture is clear on that. He's also returning to clean house. Scripture is clear on that. He's coming to judge. He's coming to punish the unrepentant. And and Scripture clearly teaches us that that on, on that day, no one without Christ will be spared. No one will be able to endure it. No one will be able to escape this great day of judgment. Therefore, we need to be prepared. That's the reason Joel is writing this book to us. That's why he's telling his audience, remember the locust, because that judgment reminds us that there is a greater judgment coming and we need to be prepared for it when it comes. Folks, I'm going to tell you something that may be shocking for some of you to hear, but listen, it's true. The past judgments of God are his mercy. They are. The past judgments of God are his kindness. Scripture is clear on this. The reason why God appoints these days like the days of the locust is not because he's heartless. It's not because he's cold and calloused and unloving. It's because he's loving and gracious and merciful. When I was little, acting up in public times, my mom would give me that look. Y'all know that look, right? Yeah. Yeah. She'd grab my hand maybe a little bit. It, it was never very comfortable, you know. She'd squeeze. Uh, my dad would give me a little swat on the backside. And um, going over the sermon, I realized that those were acts of mercy by my parents. They were meant to get my attention, cause me to straighten up, because if I didn't, there was going to be a much greater punishment for me when we got home. That's what this plague is is meant to do, and why Joel is calling for the people of Judah to repent and turn back to God, because he knows there is a greater day of punishment coming, and he knew that on that day, it would be too late. He knew on that day there would be no escape. I've met many who have told me they prefer pastors not preach too much on God's judgment. 
but rather just want pastors to speak about God's mercy and his grace and his love. Listen, folks, the stories of God's past acts of justice and judgment are stories of his love and mercy toward us. You ever thought about that? It's true. They're they're meant to remind us that there is a greater day of judgment that's coming, and they're meant to lead us to repentance. People say, oh, you're not going to win anybody to Jesus talking about God's judgment. It's his kindness. It's his love that lead people to repentance. Folks, God's past judgments are his kindness. They are his love. They remind us once again, a future day of judgment is coming. Therefore, we must be prepared. So Joel tells us, here in the first part of this book that what God has done in the past should affect the way we live in the present. His his past acts of judgment and mercy are meant to lead us to repentance. And he also tells us, point number two, not only what God has done in the past should affect the way we live today, but also what God will do in the future should affect the way in which we live in the present. So what God has done in the past what he will do in the future should affect the way in which we live. And again, what's God going to do? Well, Joel mentions two things here. One, he's going to pour out his spirit. And two, he's going to send his judgment. First, God's going to pour out his spirit. Look at chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, fortunately, we have the rest of the story, right? Or this passage might be somewhat confusing for us. We can read Joel's prophecy again with New Testament eyes. And it's clear here that, that, that what Joel is prophesying about here is about what's going to take place when Christ comes and when he accomplishes our salvation. After Christ came to earth and lived for us and died for us, he was then raised for us. And then remember, he appeared to his disciples and he commissions them. He calls for them to be his witnesses, and to make him known where he's not known. And after he returned to be with the Father, we're told the Spirit of God was poured out on his people, and they went out and did just as Jesus said. There were his witnesses. They made him known, and they started churches all over the known world. Told that Peter and Paul and others were filled with God's Spirit, that they prophesied, that they dreamed dreams, they saw visions, they were guided and directed by God's Spirit and were used by God in a, in a mighty way to advance His kingdom. And because of their faithfulness, get this, folks, as a result of their ministry, the gospel eventually spread to you and to me. Today, we're witnessing God's promise that he made through Joel thousands of years ago being fulfilled this very day. God's spirit is on the move today. He is working and changing hearts and lives today. We're seeing that in this church. 
Every time we witness a baptism or we hear a testimony, somebody who's come up through the, through the church and has come to Christ and is going out on the mission field, we're seeing this fulfilled. What Joel said long ago when he promised the Spirit is going to be poured out. Joel also prophesied that God would send his judgment. He says in chapter 3 that there is coming a day when God is going to judge the nations and punish those who do not belong to him and restore and redeem those who do. Look at Joel chapter 3. Notice three things here we learn about this future day of the Lord and why it should affect the way in which we live today. Why should the day of the Lord affect the way we live right here, right now, today? Joel tells us, number one, because it could come at any time. That should get you moving, right? Look at what the Lord says through Joel in chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, he says, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And when's that going to be, Joel? When did he say? In those days at that time. Okay? Tomorrow. Could be. Next week. Next month. Next year. hundred years. We don't know when it will be, but we do know that it will be, don't we? We do. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Think about this with me. Though, though uh, we have no clue as to when that day will be, you ever notice many of us act as if it's not going to be anytime soon? We do. Like, I don't know what day it's going to be, but we, we live each day like it's not going to be today, I don't think. How do you know? What we learn here and elsewhere in the scriptures is that this day is coming, and it's coming suddenly. Common illustration used in the New Testament is that it comes like a what? Like a thief in the night. Comes suddenly when you least expect it. Let me ask you this. How many of you this morning, how many of you gave a moment's thought that Christ could be coming today? Maybe a few of you. I'll be honest with you. I didn't at first when I first woke up, not until I got into this text, and then I started thinking about it. But Scripture tells us we, we, we shouldn't think in this way. We need to renew our minds. We need to live with this mentality that Christ is coming someday soon, and that someday might be today. So we've got to be ready. That should affect the way in which we live for God, moment by moment of every day. Second thing we learn about the day of the Lord that should affect the way in which we live today is that though the exact time of the final judgment is unclear, the fact that he is returning is very clear. It's certain. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. The Lord says through Joel Chapter 3, verse 2, I will gather. God's making a definitive statement here, folks. I will gather. You can bank on that. Whenever you hear God say, I will, you can bank on it. It's going to happen. He says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there it is again. I will enter 
into judgment with them there. The Lord says, I'm going to do this. I will do it. This future day of judgment is inevitable because God has determined it. And when God determines to do something, he always does it, doesn't he? He says, I will judge the nations. I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which by the way means Jehovah judges. It's judgment valley. It says, I'm going to enter into judgment with them there. So though Joel doesn't know when that day will be, he does know that that day is coming. It's inevitable. And get this, it's also inescapable. It's inescapable. Look at verse 2 again. The Lord says, I will gather some nations, a few nations, all nations, all peoples, everywhere who do not belong to me who have lived their lives in opposition to me will be gathered in that day i'm going to bring them down into the valley of judgment he says and i'll enter into judgment with them there and for those of y'all that just think oh that's old testament you know we're, we're beyond that guess who else mentioned this jesus Jesus makes mention of this in Matthew 25, verse 31. Listen to what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered, what? All the nations. And he will separate people one from another. As, as, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There's coming a day when all nations are going to be gathered. It's one appointment that, that everyone will keep. No one will miss out on. And Christ says he is going to separate those who are his from the rest. And Joel says he's going to take all of those who do not know him, who are not trusting in him, and he's going to gather them together, and he's going to bring them down to this valley that's referred to as God's decision. The valley of God's decision verdict valley the valley of god's judgment we're told he's going to enter into judgment with them there so though the day of the lord will be a glorious day for those of us who belong to him to those of us who are trusting in christ alone for our salvation it'll be a dreadful day for the rest and the question you need to ask yourself this morning is this are you ready for that day are you ready for the day of the Lord? Though we're not sure when it will be, we know it's coming and we must be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Maybe you're here this morning and God's made it crystal clear that you're not. But you would like to be, but you don't know how. Guess what? Joel tells us how. How about that? Look at Joel chapter 2 verse 12. The Lord says through Joel, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart. Verse 13, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then skip on down to verse 32 of chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone, he says, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an excellent invitation right there from Joel, isn't it? 
Joel says to prepare for that day. You must repent of your sins, turn from your sin, trust in the Lord, believe upon Him, call upon Him. And anyone who does that, he says, will be saved. Notice he says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Said outward acts of devotion, they won't cut it. They won't save you. You have to be changed from the inside out. You have to give your life up and over to the Lord. You have to call upon Him. You have to trust in Him and in Him alone for your salvation. And folks, we can read this passage once again with New Testament eyes, can't we? When we look at Scripture, we learn, like we said earlier, God makes all of this possible. He makes a way for us possible when there seemed to be no way. He makes a way for us to return to Him and be made right with Him through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth to make a way, salvation for us. The way that Joel speaks of here, the way that he looks forward to, God makes that possible. Scripture tells us God the Son, He left the riches of heaven became one of us he lived the perfect life that we could never live for us so that he could bring us back into a right relationship with God and after he accomplished this work the apostle Paul in the great book of Romans after explaining in great detail the awesome work that Christ did for us during his earthly ministry, he echoes the words of Joel in Romans 10, 13, when he says this, everyone who calls on him, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. If you're here today, you're not ready for that day when Christ returns I urge you right here, right now, ready yourself. Prepare yourself by turning from your sins and give your life over to Christ. Look to Him, trust in Him, call upon Him, and be saved. Let's pray.